This morning's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 39, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything, he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to, make us, to, brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me? He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So thank you very much, Zoe and Anne. When I was a child, I used to read a lot and amongst my favourite reading material was a small collection of ladybird books. I, can, I tell by that reaction that there's many of you in the congregation who have fond memories of ladybird books. Um, they were much loved by children, um, but they were also the sort of books, weren't they, that your parents were happy to buy for you. Um, partly because they were very sturdy, they, were, they had hard covers and they were pretty much indestructible. But also the content was very wholesome, very educational, um, it was safe and uncontroversial. 
If you remember, you used to have the pictures on one side of the page and the text on the other. And if the, if the book was about some aspect of ordinary life, you can be sure that the pictures would feature very well-behaved, well-scrubbed children, all part of very well-scrubbed families, and they all had very nice, well-behaved, well-scrubbed pets. Amongst my collection, one of my favourites was the Ladybird Book of the Weather. I think my dad bought me this because he was quite interested in the weather, and um, he and I used to look at the pictures in the book of the clouds and look at the weather outside, and we used to predict uh, the forthcoming weather. Far greater accuracy, I'm sure, than the Met Office. Um, another of my favourites was the Ladybird Book of the Firemen. Um, from which you would have got the impression that firemen were all very jolly, smiling chaps who spent most of their day rescuing cats from trees and never really put their lives at risk in a real fire. Now, as, alongside the books about um, ordinary life, Ladybird used to produce a series of Bible stories. And one of the ones that I had was the story of Joseph. Um, and this morning, we are in our series of People of Hope going to look at um, the story of Joseph. Um, not a series, as you might have thought from earlier, about people in the Bible whose names begin with J. It's a series about um, people of hope. Uh, and my, from my encounter with Joseph in the pages of my Ladybird book, it's a story that I've known and been familiar with, and a story I've loved, really, for probably 50 years. And for a small boy, the story had all of the ingredients of a great story. There's the betrayal of Joseph by his brothers, a, a, a long journey to a foreign land, a, a sort of rags-to-riches element as Joseph rises to a position of power. Then more betrayal, imprisonment, a mysterious interpretation of dreams, and eventually Joseph rising to a position of power and authority, and his brothers coming to seek uh, food from him, seek uh, rescue from him in a way that fulfilled his earlier dream. And like any, well, like any good story, it has, of course, a great hero, in the passage that uh, Zoe just read for us, we're told that Joseph was well-built and handsome. He was someone who behaved well. He was a, he was a, a worthy sort of person. And we can, be, we can feel that at the end of the story, he got the reward that he deserved. Now, of course, in later life, um, I read the story with fresh eyes as I um, began to read it through the eyes of faith. And I began to see that there were depths in the story that I perhaps hadn't seen when I was a child. And I began to realize that it was a great story that told of the way in which God's, God was at work in somebody's life. And I hope that this morning we might be able to explore some of that depth of God at work in um, Joseph's life. I want to um, focus this morning on the particular part of the story which um, Zoe read to us about when Joseph was imprisoned, and imprisoned for a completely false reason. Before we look in detail at that, let's, let's just have a quick overview of the whole story. The story of Joseph occupies 
um, virtually all of the, the closing chapters of Genesis from chapter 37 right through to chapter 50. And if you've got time, do, do set aside some time one day to read the whole story um, because it's, it's a great story and reading it in one um, sitting, you really do get the flavor of God being alongside Joseph through everything that happened. Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob. These 12 sons had been born to four different women. Don't remember my ladybird book telling me that. <laughs> Joseph was his father's favorite, largely because he was the firstborn son of Rachel, who was Jacob's true love. And one of the signs that Joseph was Jacob's favorite was that Jacob had presented him with a, a decorated robe. The translations vary a little bit as to whether they say it was a, a decorated robe or a multicolored robe. Uh, but either way, it was a symbol of Jacob's favor for this particular son. And the writer of Genesis has clearly included a reference to this particular decorated robe because it plays an important part in the story later, as we'll see. Because Joseph was his father's favorite, his brothers hated him. As if it wasn't enough that he was his father's favorite, Joseph had dreams, and in particular, he had a dream which predicted that one day other members of his family would bow down and serve him. So it's easy to see why Joseph wasn't popular with his brothers. So one day when they were in the fields, the brothers saw an opportunity to kill him. They attacked him, stripped him of his ornate robe, and then they dipped the robe in the blood of an animal and took it back to Jacob to try and persuade Jacob that Joseph was dead. Because of the intervention of one brother, Reuben, and because also of a, a bit of a pang of conscience by Judah, Joseph wasn't actually killed, but simply sold into slavery in Egypt. Because God was with him, and because of what seemed to be his natural gifts as an administrator, Joseph rose to a position of power in Potiphar's household. And as we've seen, Potiphar was a high-ranking official in the court of Pharaoh. Because of Joseph, and because God was with him, not only Joseph himself, but also Potiphar and his household were blessed. And that's a reminder to us that we can be a blessing to those around us if we're faithful to God, even when those around us receiving that blessing may not themselves be believers. But then, as we've seen, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce uh, Joseph, and he knew that it would be wrong to give in to that temptation. He remained faithful to what he knew to be the right course of action. As a result, Potiphar's wife tricked him, and she made the false allegation. She does so by taking his cloak and causing him to leave that behind. So for the second time, a cloak or an outer garment plays an important part in Joseph's life. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's got any theological significance, but it just, just illustrates that these events that we're reading about are being described by somebody who's a master storyteller. 
Joseph was wrongly accused by uh, Potiphar's wife and was put in prison. While he's in prison, he interprets dreams for the king's cupbearer and baker, who were also in prison. And then, as a result of Pharaoh himself having a dream, Joseph is uh, given the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dream, um, and he does so, and Pharaoh puts him in charge of distribution of all of the available food during a time of famine. When the famine really bites, Joseph's brothers are forced to come and buy food. Initially, he doesn't reveal himself to them, but tests their good faith with a series of tests, and eventually they do. Sorry, eventually they do come down and submit to his authority in the way that's predicted by his um, dream. So, as I've said, it's a wonderful story. It's very dramatic, very expansive, and it has a genuine hero at its heart. So let's focus for a few minutes just on this period in the story when Joseph was in prison in Egypt. Now, of course, the whole story of Joseph is an emotional roller coaster. So even by this stage in the story, he's experienced the highs and lows of life. Having been sold into slavery by his brothers, but then having risen to a position of prominence, he must have thought that he'd arrived at a good place and that his troubles were behind him. And yet then he gets thrown into jail for what's clearly a gross miscarriage of justice. Joseph knows that he's innocent. Not only had he not done anything wrong, but he'd actually actively tried to resist the attempts of Potiphar's wife to disgrace him. How do you think that Joseph felt when he was thrown into prison for something he'd not done? Did, didn't you think he thought that after all that he'd gone through in life that thus far, he was entitled to a bit of a break from suffering, that he deserved to enjoy for a while a comfortable time of life? Even as we say that, we can begin to imagine how presumptuous that sounds. We're never really entitled, are we, to assume God's favor? Joseph might have been faithful, yes, but does that mean he deserved favorable treatment by God? Isn't it more accurate to say that, in a sense, we deserve nothing, but whatever good comes our way, we should be thankful to God for, but we should never presume on his favor? But here was here was Joseph in prison. And oddly enough, the passage in Genesis 39 doesn't tell us a great deal about how Joseph reacted to his circumstances. You might expect that the writer would say, Joseph was angry with God. Joseph shook his fists at God. Joseph complained about the unjust treatment and asked why God had allowed all this to happen. But actually, all we're really told is that while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. And I think the reason why we're not told much about Joseph's feelings is because, of course, the true hero of the story is actually not Joseph, but God himself. Yes, it's right to think of Joseph as a person of hope, but hope takes its shape and character not from the one doing the hoping, but from the one in whom the hope lies. 
However much we may admire Joseph for the way he reacted, God is the hero of the story. It's clearly God who is at work in Joseph's life, bringing about the events that eventually lead up to Joseph being in a position to serve the rest of his family. All we can say at this point in the story is that Joseph appeared to remain faithful to his God while he was in prison. He finds favor with the warder and he's put in a position of responsibility. He interprets dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. And throughout the entire period, he remained clear that he had done nothing to deserve being in prison. Joseph doesn't at any stage seem to show any bitterness, any disappointment or frustration, as I'm sure I would if I'd found myself in that position. Had he done so, had he, had he shown bitterness, had he been disappointed or frustrated with God, then it's quite possible that God wouldn't have been able to work through Joseph's life in quite the way he did. The baker and the cupbearer meet different fates. One of them's executed, the other is spared. The one who's spared is asked by Joseph to remember him to Pharaoh, but of course forgets to do that. And so Joseph, we're told at the beginning of chapter 40, spends two further years in prison. Just imagine how Joseph must have felt through those two long further years, knowing that he was there in prison because of a completely false allegation. We don't know what Joseph did in the prison for those two years. Perhaps he used his time profitably in God's service. Perhaps he studied the scriptures. Perhaps he prayed for his family and for his nation. Maybe he talked to the other prisoners about God. We're not told any of that. We can't be sure. The only thing we can be sure about is that Joseph waited. He had to wait because he'd got no alternative, really, but to wait and see what God had in store for him. But surely those two long years must have tested Joseph's faith. These are the sort of things that he probably thought. He probably thought, why has God allowed this to happen? He probably thought, I've got lots of talents that I want to use in God's service. Why am I not being given the chance to use them? Why am I sitting here languishing in this prison when I could be out in the community serving God? He probably thought, why did God go to the trouble of saving me from death at the hands of my brothers, only then for me to rot in an Egyptian jail? Most of all, Joseph probably just thought, it's not fair. Now, the fact that we're here this morning means that none of us are currently in prison. And yet, people can be imprisoned in other ways. Maybe you feel imprisoned in a relationship that doesn't feel right. Perhaps you feel imprisoned in a job that you don't feel satisfies you or which you actively dislike. 
Perhaps you feel imprisoned because you'd like to have a job and actually have not been able to find suitable work. Whatever circumstances you're in, I'm sure you can imagine how frustrated Joseph must have been to be in that position of waiting for two years, not knowing when that period would come to an end or what God had in store for him. So what can we learn from Joseph's situation? Well, I I can't presume to apply what we've learned from the story to your life. Only you can do that. If you're in a situation where everything seems to have gone wrong, then, then take heart from what happened to Joseph. Perhaps you've experienced a similar emotional roller coaster to Joseph, where everything in your life seemed to be going well, and then the wheels came off. If so, remember this passage and what happened to Joseph. Maybe you've been languishing for a long time in a place where you really don't know what God intends for your life. If so, remember this passage and think about the experience of Joseph. Because for more than two years, the evidence in front of Joseph's eyes suggested that God had forgotten him or, worse still, abandoned him. And yet, we know that that wasn't the case. And we know that all the time, God was at work in his life. Now, you might say, well, that's all right for Joseph. He was special. He's a special biblical character. We could never be like him. But then, as we've seen, hope takes its shape and its character, not from the one doing the hoping, but from the one in whom the hope lies. So we don't need to be like Joseph. We might feel that we lack Joseph's courage and his perseverance. We might feel that we lack his faith. We might feel that we lack his determination and his sheer stickability. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that the God that was watching over every step along the way for Joseph and who was marking out his path is the same God who does that for us. We have the benefit of reading Joseph's story hundreds of years after it took place, and we know the outcome. But Joseph didn't at the time. When he was in prison, he didn't know that the story would have a happy ending. All he could do was wait and trust God. And often it will be the same for us. We may not be able to discern exactly how God has been at work in our lives until some time later. After Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, they're afraid and they think that he will blame them for selling him into slavery. But he says to them, no, don't feel guilty because all along it was part of God's plan. So no doubt by that stage, Joseph also realized that his time in prison had also been a part of God's plan as well. With our longer historical perspective, we can see that God was at work in Joseph's life. But more than that, we can also see that this is part of a pattern which recurs in the history of God's people. 
The pattern is that whenever there's a period of exile or a period of hardship, whenever something happens, whatever God's people endure, there are always faithful people or a faithful person who steps forward to keep God's plans alive. Jacob's 12 sons were the start of the 12 tribes of Israel, if you like, the very definition of God's people. And it was important as a family, therefore, that they were safeguarded and given the opportunity to survive and thrive. And Joseph was the faithful one who was used powerfully by God to enable that to happen. And eventually, of course, Jesus would be the supreme example of a faithful person who would lead God's people forward. So what can we say about Joseph, the person of hope? Well, yes, he was a person of hope. He never turned his back on God. He always seems to have remained faithful. And therefore, we should certainly follow his example. But the main source of hope for us is that quite apart from anything Joseph did, God was there in the background, working out his perfect purposes for Joseph's life. That same God has a plan for your life and my life. Plans to give us a future and a hope. Amen. In a couple of moments, I'm going to ask the band to come back and lead us in uh, a final couple of songs. Just while the band are coming up and getting themselves ready, I'm not going to keep talking. I'm just going to give you a moment or two to reflect on, in particular, those two long years that Joseph spent in prison, not really sure what God had in store for him. All he could do was wait and hope, and that may be what God is calling us to do in our lives.